My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, a lot of you guys here today. Last service was full too. Um, I want to start just by setting the stage. Luke's already started to set the stage, but uh, Luke said something. If you were here last Sunday, at the end of the message, he said, we need to sit in this moment. And if you weren't here, the moment he wanted to sit in is if Jesus hadn't come, where would we be? And this is part two of three parts, Easter being the third part. I want to sit in this moment more, but I want to sit in it from an Israelite's point of view. So last Sunday was, if Jesus hadn't come, what's our reality? Today I want to sit in, what was Israel's legitimate reality without Christ? So it's going to be heavy. Uh, it's going to be graphic at points from the scripture itself, not from my mouth. Um, it's, it's necessary that we talk about these things because we need to sit in this. Here's what Israel, I think, did naturally based off their culture that I want to encourage us to do in this moment. Israel was a collective. They were communal. They were a people. We are a bunch of individuals in this country with individual rights and motives and stories. I just want to sit in this moment as a we tonight. This is for us. If we were a more charismatic church, I'd have you turn to your neighbor and say, this is for us. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. But we need to sit in this. What do we need to sit in exactly? It's a very, very simple message. It's a very frank message about blessing and curse. Israel sat in the reality of blessing and curse. If I had to define blessing, it's simply this. Prosperity and life. If I had to define curse, it's misery and death. Luke likes to say a benediction quite a bit. He uses it in his family. Luke Simmons, not Luke in the Bible. But it's from Exodus. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you. Tonight's message is the opposite statement. The Lord curse you. The Lord will abandon you. And the Lord's righteous anger is coming for you. It's heavy. We need to sit in this moment as a we. So let's pray together before we jump into the text. Father, help us sit here. We are a perpetually distracted bunch. We don't sit alone with our own thoughts, let alone the thoughts and the words of another speaker often. And yet, God, be here with us in this moment. Open our eyes, open our hearts in a way that allows us to see the cross refreshingly tonight. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessing and curse. I've been preparing this message for about a month now. And here's the thing that came to mind about halfway through my preparation. Here's the like overarching thought on all this. We invited the curse. If you're a note taker, it's a simple statement. We invited the curse. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have three realities that unpack that, and then I'm going to end with a final reality, 
But here's what we need to sit in as a we. We invited the curse. Here's my first statement on this. We got it up there. The curse is simple. What do I mean by that? This is not a complicated message. This is not a theologically deep night where you need a degree to understand a word I was going to say. A five-year-old in the room can understand it. Why? Because God designed it that way. The curse is simple. I'll just pause right there for a moment. Here's what I don't want you to hear. Everything can be summed up and figured out based off how the curse is landing on my life because of my sin. Meaning, you are suffering, your marriage is in trouble, your finances are an issue, there's issues in your life. Not everything that is a current issue, a trial, a suffering in your life can be tied to this reality that you choose blessing or you choose curse and you get what you deserve. That's not what I mean by simple. The book of Job was written to the Jews for that reason. Job is kind of God pulling back the curtain on how he interacts with people and to say, oh, wow, it's not so simple like, oh, I did this and I'm getting this punishment. I mean simple and it's easy to understand. But I wrote down, as I thought about our church, I think a lot of good Bible people, especially Reformed people, tend to forget that God interacts with us in a simple, easy-to-understand way that a child can pick up. That's what I mean by simple. The curse is simple. I'm not going to blow you away with any big words tonight. The curse is simple. Here's how I see this. Go to Deuteronomy 27 if you have your Bibles open. Deuteronomy 27. Verse 11. I love this picture because it is simple. Deuteronomy 27, verse 11 through 14. It reads, That day Moses charged the people... Israel, saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. If you're a math person, that's six out of the 12, half. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites then shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, blessing, curse. So picture you're a child. In the midst. And you're figuring out this Yahweh thing. And God places half of your people on one mountain, half of your people on the other mountain. And then what you see if you keep reading is these people picture the blessing. These people picture the curse. Simple. There is blessing and there is curse. There are two options. Blessing and there is curse. A lot of people kind of tend to think God's like half in because most of us are just half in or quarter in on what we do. God is all in on the blessing and God is all in on the curse and he wants all of us to see the simple reality that there is blessing and there is curse. Here's the other thing I see. Go to Deuteronomy 28, verse 68. 
So we're going to be in Deuteronomy 28 quite a bit tonight. But here's the other way God makes this very simple. Deuteronomy 28, 68. It's a graphic picture, but God's making a simple point. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. This is Moses' kind of final statement on the cursing section. Bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. Here's the other thing. They are the exact opposite choices. Blessing is addition. Cursing is subtraction. Blessing is life and freedom. Cursing is death and slavery. So much so that the image Moses ends on is not just any slavery. He says it'll be like going back to Egypt where you were slaves. Do you remember that? When you were slaves? It'll be like going back to the land where you were slaves and Egypt looks upon you and thinks you're too pathetic to even have as slaves this go-round. Two mountains with very distinct opposite conclusions. Flip over a little bit. Go to Deuteronomy 30 now. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Here's another way God makes this very simple. Verse 15 down through verse 18 says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Here's how God makes it very simple. I will do what I said. Whether it's blessing or whether it's curse. I'm not a very average, typical dad that exists in this room that makes threats that they are never going to follow through on because they are never going to get off the couch to follow through with the punishment. I'm saying what I'm saying because I will do what I said I will do. This is simple. Every child, every adult in the midst of Israel understands what's being said. And then the very next verse, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. You say, ah, that's Old Testament. Everything God said came true. But here's what I see in that final statement. God puts it on us, on Israel, on the people of God. You choose. Choose life or choose death, but it's your choice. I told you how I will respond to obedience and how I'll respond to disobedience. You now choose for yourselves. 
There's nothing complicated about anything God said here. It's as simple as anything you'll read in any book you ever open up. Choose life or choose death. Before we leave this moment, we, the people of God, have not outgrown the need for God's warning in our life. We as pastors were praying for Good Friday and Easter, and one of the pastors brought up, I just want those folks in our church that are dancing around what they should be doing to do what they should do. You say, ah, oh, this is Moses. He's, he's Old Testament. Jesus warned. Jesus said, blessed are the hungry. But Jesus also said, woe to him. Woe to her. So much so that a lot of the warning texts in the New Testament we write off as, ah, I think God wanted us to skip over that section. He did not. Choose for yourself life. Choose for yourself death. Which one will we choose? The curse is simple. If you read the book of Revelation, it's God's last revelation to us in written form. And he exposes churches that are being started and are growing in that moment. And he says to the church at Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen whatever life remains in you before you die. Repent. The curse is real. Nothing in our culture wants to hear this message because we want God to bless whatever it is we do. And God says, I will curse you if you are not on the side of obedience. It is a simple, simple statement. The next thing we see is the curse is comprehensive. What do I mean by that? It's not confined to just individual interaction. The curse is comprehensive. It's cosmic. It's universal. I remember talking with a lady years back about... Uh, Staying in her marriage. And she was dancing around, as church people do, because they have enough language to say some of the right words without the heart of obedience. And I said, why are there murders? She's like, what, what are you talking about? We're talking about marriage. Why is there rape? Why is there genocide? Why is there racism? I don't understand. Let's go back. And I went to Adam and Eve. And God said, there's a tree there. There's a tree there. One brings life. One will bring death. You choose. And Adam and Eve chose death. They made a decision not to listen to God in a very simple and easy to follow commandment intellectually and I just said before everything in this world that is broken is because we chose the curse we chose the wrong tree Israel chose the wrong side of the mountain we chose this and now we sit in the reality of this now this is where it's going to get deep Luke's message on Sunday was sin is deep and catastrophic, 
curse is the same. So we're going to walk through some. Deuteronomy 28. We're going to start in verse 16. Go there. And we're just going to see the comprehensive nature of God's curse on his people in this world. Deuteronomy 28 verse 16 says this, Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Everywhere you go, you will be cursed. Didn't this whole story start off with, I am taking you to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey? Yes. And now we're at two mountains. Choose which one you will pick, blessing or curse. If you pick cursing, everywhere you go will be cursed. You can take away the flowing land. Verse 17. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Every ounce of work you put your hands to, men and women, is cursed. None of us live above the curse in any of our vocations. We all are frustrated, angry. Our supervisors are idiots. We're not the idiots, but we work with a lot of idiots. Every ounce of your work will be cursed. Go to verse 18. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. This is it. The fruit of your womb. Your womb is cursed. So this isn't like a... There's a bow going to be tied up in this generation here, Israel. And then you guys die off and the next folks inherit blessing. The curse is passed down through the fruit of your womb and your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children live within a curse. Verse 19. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. You will not be able to escape it. I did escape the room a few months ago. It's a great, fun game. We escaped. Moses says, you'll be in the worst escape the room experience called your life, full of misery, surrounded by death and destruction and confusion, and you won't be able to escape it. Verse 20. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, frustration, and all you undertake to do until you're destroyed and perish quickly on the account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Like that is just a picture of the curse, if, if any picture I have in my head. Just how confusing everything is in this world we live in. Nothing is simple. Relationships aren't simple. Politics aren't nothing. It's confusion. Perpetually. We chose it. Go to verse 21. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, with inflammation, with fiery heat, with drought, with blight, and with mildew. And they shall pursue you until you perish. Cancer. HIV. Allergies. Your bodies are working against you because we chose the curse. Verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 26. Your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air. 
and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. This happened in the history of Israel. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Roman Empire, Israel, God's chosen people to live on earth, just taken over, taken over by different violent nations. And God said it would happen. Verse 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, a scabs, an itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. You shall grope at the noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. Think of every physical, mental issue. It's the curse. Verse 30. This is the one that spoke to me a lot. You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. You will taste of the blessed life and never have its full satisfaction. You will get a taste, a start, a smidgen of the blessed life. And you won't get its full completion. My wife woke up this morning, sits down to read, have some moments with herself. Boy number one. Boy number two. Boy number three. Boy number four. Husband number one. <laughs> are all in her business. And she says, I started a good thought and I never got to finish it. And that's a funny example of a horrific reality that we live in in the curse. Like that feeling of satisfaction, completion. This is how it is. The Jews called it shalom. We don't attain it. We chose the curse. Verse 33. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. I already said Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the nations came in and did this exact thing to the people of God. Go to verse 38. You shall carry much seed in the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You will be not abundant in anything. You will be scraping by constantly. Just Google the droughts going on globally right now. This is a reality. We chose the curse. Verse 64, jump over there. This is Moses' final paragraph to them in the cursing section. And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart, failing eyes. A languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. In the evening you will say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. Verse 68. It will be like going back to Egypt and being too pathetic to even be taken as slaves anymore. He ends with, all your hope in this life will be sucked dry if you choose the curse. It's intense. 
If you've never been to church, this is quite a first service. I'd like to say, you know, this is, this is, this is kind of a, once you get past this section, it really kind of, it gets easier. Who's the leader after Moses? Joshua. Leads them into the promised land. Immediately after Joshua is the book of Judges. Immediately after Judges, they raise up kings. And you get first kings and the chronicles in the kingdom section. And then you got David, Solomon, kings you know. And then all these people, none of us know that, but a bunch of kings. But in the midst of Joshua through the end of the Old Testament, this new kind of star rises on the scene as far as who's God's using. God calls him a prophet. And he keeps raising up these prophets during this time. And they start to become the spokesperson of God. And since I've become a Christian, I've struggled with the prophets. And so do most of you. Those people in your life that are testing out the faith maybe have come to Jesus. None of you say, all right, you're a Christian now. Here's what I want you to do. Open up to the book of Ezekiel, please. We're going to start in Ezekiel. And then we're going to move over to Joel, and we're going to dabble in Daniel, and then we're going to really spend some deep time in Jeremiah. None of us do that. We say, you should start in Mark, it's short. James, it's practical. John, it's full of life. Proverbs, it's like a fortune cookie every day for your soul. (laughs) Why not the prophets? Because they're too intense. For most of us. Jeremiah was told to cook food using human dung as a picture to the same Israel that Moses was trying to get to listen. And the prophets are constantly intense in doing these things that just blow your mind. And I have struggled for so long. Why are they so intense? Because most of us make the prophets just to be some men who wrote down some things that turned out to be true thousands of years later. And now on Christmas, we get to read some guy Isaiah and be happy that it came true that he was born of a virgin. That section in Isaiah is tiny. Isaiah lays into people throughout his whole book. Why are they so intense? I was in uh, seminary class this year, and the guy was teaching on minor prophets, and he asked the question, why are the prophets so intense? And I thought, yes, he gets it. And I thought we were just going to kind of talk out loud about our frustrations with the prophets. And he came with an answer right away. He said, you know why they're so intense? Because the world was at stake. What do you mean the world's at stake? Adam and Eve, you got two trees. If a prophet would have came wandering into the garden, you think he would have whispered what he had to say? Moses, two mountains, blessing and curse. Why are you so intense? The world is at stake. Prophets, why are you so intense? Because you're choosing blessing or you're choosing curse, people. And we are the people of God. Put here on this earth, the temple of God, the presence of God resided with Israel and now resides with the church. We are the hope for the world. Why are the prophets so intense? Because the world is at stake. Because the curse is so comprehensive and the people of God keep choosing wrong. Final thing we see is the curse is also insufficient. Look at 
not unnecessary. God put it there for a reason, just insufficient. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you read Deuteronomy as a Jew during this time, you are reading a great warning manual from a heavenly father who cares about you. I've had to lay into my boys twice this week, just not beating them, just listen. And that's what Moses is doing, listen. It reads like a fatherly warning. If you read Deuteronomy today, 2018, in Southeast Valley of Arizona, a Gentile church, it reads like a, so, like a magical prophetic book because everything we just read came true. Everything he said would happen, happened. Here's what I take of it. A warning is not sufficient to produce the life change that the people of God need. Moses even hinted at it. He said in another verse, don't go there, but Moses summoned all Israel. He said, come here. You've seen all that the Lord did before you in your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh. You saw what we did to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. Those great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. You've seen it all. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And I just wrote the question to myself, what will be sufficient for us to see and feel and hear the blessing and cursing that the finger of God has written down for us to hear? We could end here. The Bible doesn't end here. Imagine you're a Jew. Now it's the first century. And you take the Bible serious. You take the Torah serious. You want God. And you read the blessing and the cursing. And you sit in a world that is cursed. And I want blessing. I don't want cursing. I don't want this sickness. I don't want this ailment. I want my child to be healed. I want my marriage to be healed. I don't want this curse. We don't want this curse. What do we do? And imagine you start to hear rumblings of a man who claims to be the Messiah. I got two questions for him. As a cursed Israelite, doing my best and failing in every way, is he really the Messiah? And here's my personal question. What does he think about me? So here's what we're going to do. My study, I walk through the book of Mark looking for curses, looking for how the curse is still at play in the New Testament. It's still at play today. Just walking through Mark slow. And I started to pick up on something. And Mark is a wonderful author, and he wants us to zero in on things, and he wants us to slow down and read slowly like we're reading a good novel. He wants us to see things. And I just want to see, what does Jesus think of the cursed? So we're going to read through some passages. We're going to read the Deuteronomy curse that says for sure that God made this happen. 
And then we're going to read Jesus' interaction with the curse. I'm going to walk through a few slides for us. Here's the first one. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, fiery heat, and with drought, with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue, pursue you until you perish. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. She's cursed. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. She began to serve them. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. He put them all outside and took this child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and we had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked, do you see anything? The blind man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. If you are not careful to do all the words of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. And they brought the boy to him, who was sick and possessed. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the evil spirit came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The curse is real. That's not the question. The question on our mind should be, what does Jesus think of the cursed if he claims to be the anointed one of God sent here, what does he make of us? Let's just bring it into our context for a moment. Some of you are living in confusion, destruction, mental anguish, physical destruction, addiction. Those curses that we just read hit home for a lot of us. What does Jesus think of the cursed? And here's how my study ended in the book of Mark. Here's what I saw. Jesus invites the cursed. We invited the curse. Jesus extends a hand to the cursed. Where are you at in your life right now? 
As you stack up blessing and curse, blessing and curse. If you look out of this world, you look at us collectively. Where are we at? We are cursed. And Jesus extends a hand to the cursed. The book of Mark doesn't end there. It keeps telling the story. And only one more time is the hand zeroed in on from the author Mark. Here's where it's at. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. Lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up. This is Judas at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him. And they seized him. And that's where we're at tonight. The God of the universe the Messiah of the Jewish faith who extended a hand to all the cursed he came across and he still continues to extend a hand in this room to each and every one of us. They laid their hands on him and took him to a cross to die as the cursed. I've got a hymn I want to read for us going to set up the rest of our time, but we're going to take communion. And I just want us to sit in this moment now. The cursing is real, but Jesus' hand extended towards us as the cursed is more real. And it's here in this moment for us. This hymn is called The Maker of the Universe. It says, The Maker of the Universe, as man for man was made a curse, the claims of law which he had made unto the uttermost he has paid. His holy fingers made the bow which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood yet made the hill on which it stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head by him above the earth was spread. The sun that hid from him its face by his, by his decree was poised in space. The spear which spilled his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hand had made. There's one more stanza to this hymn. That's our Easter message. But in this moment, Jesus is dead on a cross to the very creation that he extended a hand to the first go-around in creation. And then in his incarnation, he did the same. And he is extending his hand right now by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being so simple. Not being complicated or above our heads, but coming down to meet us. In the book of Moses, you were simple. There's blessing and there's curse. The prophets Although intense, we're simple. There is blessing and there is curse. 
And Jesus comes onto the scene where the curse has spread and everything has fallen under the curse. And we get to see who you are in the person of Jesus in every interaction where he extends a hand to the cursed. God, right here in this moment, help us to see that that story is not done. The same hands that wrote the tablets that Moses tried to warn his people with are the same hands that reach out and touched every cursed person in the Gospels. And those same hands by your spirit are in this room reaching out to us. God, let us sit right here in this moment experiencing the curse that is real, the curse that we sit in, the curse that we invited in, and also experience the Jesus who invites the curse. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.